0: Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar.
1: And I'm Tom Tanezik, and today we're buzzing into episode 194. We're getting close uh, to that milestone. Yeah, but we have a lot of great native plant articles and and native plants to talk about. Some different native plants I I saw, Fran.
0: Yeah, I just was thinking the same thing I saw your plant as I was going through. I was like, oh, we both went in a different
1: direction today. I like that. But so, uh, but before we get into all that, we like to do some follow up on past episodes. So we have a lot of follow, and we have a lot. Yeah, <laughs> uh, friend, where would you like to start? Uh,
0: you know, if I could, before we get into the other other stuff, I just want to say thank you one to you for suggesting. I I know part of it was we were in a pinch, but for suggesting on doing an episode about me, and I really didn't think anyone would find it interesting. <laughs> so I'm kind of really like humbled by the response i just wanted to say thank you to everyone who posted and dm'd and texted and, and gave comments and it was fun kind of going down memory lane and enjoying some of that stuff again and i i hope that that it can serve as inspiration for someone starting their journey knowing that mm-hmm. really where i'm at now kind of took was thirty five years yeah. or fifty years, fifty three years in the making, but really changed over the last four years. Yeah, so.
1: it it really was a, uh, a break glass in case of emergency episode um, <laughs> when I wrote it. it. Like I like I said during the episode, I wrote that two years ago. I wrote the the questions, and but they were still applicable. And I think it was better later, and I think it was more interest to people later too. Yeah, it was one of those things where if we had started out and that was episode ten known. I don't think people would have I agree. uh found as much is as it found your story as impactful. Yeah. I don't think the story is any would have been any less. No, good. it would have been the same story, yeah. but um but I am prepared for a Tom
0: episode in the future. Like I I feel that you are very deserving of the same treatment and that we should do that. And I think I wrote some questions that maybe you wouldn't be expecting. Mm-hmm. Some of them may be hard. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but yeah, I think it will be. be
0: a good, a a really good episode. So at some point in the future, there will be. I know a lot of
1: people asked for a Tom episode. Yeah. There will be yeah. a Tom episode. Yeah, that'll be so. another break glass and keep Morgan <laughs> well. episode. <But> if we, <laughs> I want to I want to make sure that we're we're having uh, guests that um, provide a lot of really good information, and yeah. I think it, it is a and, cool and, thing to to offer but it's a nice break and and yeah. we're
0: you know i think it was a a, a great way to regroup oh, yeah. and then moving forward we have a lot of great guests lined up over the next yes, couple months do. and then eventually you know we're going to run into an instance where we need an episode and i think the tom episode yeah. will be a really good yeah. really good uh placeholder for that yeah. so but i wanted to ask you you just got back from utah i you did just spent, yeah uh almost a week in utah
1: yeah, and yeah I, I did almost spend a week in Utah, or I, about a week.
0: And I I thought it would be fun for you to give an update, like kind of why you were there yeah. and and oh, yeah. how it went.
1: Uh so I the real reason I went is uh I'm involved with New Jersey Farm Bureau and uh, with their Young Farmers and Ag Professionals um uh program and uh new there's a thing with the National well, the National Farm Bureau or American Farm Bureau uh conference was in utah this year in salt lake city and uh with the young farmers and ranchers on the national level they have a bunch of different like competitions one of them was called discussion meet where they throw out a whole bunch of topics um and then you're kind of given like an hour to say hey here's the topic and they're going to get four or five of you in a room and you have to discuss it and, and that's it and they basically judge you on your ideas and how well you can speak and all that. So yeah. there's now, 37 people in it. I was then one from each state. You can only do it once in your life. And you were saying that no one from New Jersey has ever made it to the second round. Yeah. No one has from New Jersey has ever made it to the second round. Okay. And, uh, and that trend continues. I also didn't <laughs> make it the second round. Um, I but, had high hopes. I, yeah. I
0: really felt, and I know you felt pretty good going into it.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah. it was, but I'm sure you're, you, you got to think of it this way. You have, uh, the person who's the best at this in their state coming to, to do that. And now, so 37 states are represented. Um, New Jersey, like, and from Farm Bureau aspect, New Jersey Farm Bureau has about six to 7,000 members. Yeah. Um, and then you have states like Tennessee, which is the guy from Tennessee, one it all. Uh, they have, like, 400,000 members. So New Jersey isn't as agriculturally driven as a state. Um, we do. Other states they'll have like a county competition leading to a state competition, and then then the winner of the state competition goes on. New Jersey is one of those where uh, oh, someone wants to do it this year. Okay, let's well, we
0: we also you know, and not saying that it's different because of the size, but we just had this conversation (laughs) in Baltimore with someone saying you know, locally the big farmers here farm maybe two thousand acres, yeah, and they were saying oh, by us the big farmers are farming ten thousand acres. You know, it's it's a little bit different.
1: The scale Scale, is a lot different, but um, but yeah, it's uh, it definitely also just going to the entire convention. Um, there's, I think there's like five thousand people there, and that was a light year. They usually get seventy five hundred to ten thousand. Um, you don't walk out of there thinking, oh, they're just a bunch of dumb farmers. That's for sure. You have people who are really invested in their uh their livelihood. They love it as a a way of life, and they're really they're very forward thinking. Um, the the topics this year just to, for to throw them out there was one was all about water and like okay. conserving water uh you have one that was all about sustainability um and how you can not only use on-farm sustainability efforts but then like actually how should you market those efforts um one was about talking to elected officials i wow. um uh, trying to remember the Which other thing. one was like, like a- all about like how do you you think about uh, agriculture in general; it's a very high capital, low margin industry. Um, land has not gotten cheaper, so you're, you ha- if you, well, saying, yeah. If you, well, friend was just saying, if you want to have a big farm in New Jersey, you're still looking at like a thousand acres, and you're paying crazy prices <laughs> for yeah. that that property, even just for to farm yeah, yeah, make a uh, maybe if if you made a couple hundred bucks an acre, you're doing well. Um, yeah, so it's a uh, and it's something that everyone in the area treasures. They have opinions that are usually negative. Of what you're doing as someone in, in agriculture, um, but they much rather see it the space used that way than be warehousing or, or developments of some kind. So
0: I was just reading a book yeah. where they were complaining about farmland being two thousand dollars an acre, and I was like, "How old is this book?" Oh yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I looked; it was exactly. from 1979. I was like, "Oh, that's that's why." Yeah, yeah. But, so like, just hearing the topics like. Even though we're not a traditional agricultural f- farm system, like yes. I could see like you're, you're talking about water. You could bring up riparian buffers and things like that or sustainability oh, yeah. or yeah. Uh, the, some of the other things you talked like easily it would be easy for you to talk intelligently yes. about these topics. and I could.
1: Uh, I think the issue I ran into is um, New Jersey being on the coast. Uh, some of my ideas might have been a little uh, – too progressive too compared to, <laughs> yeah. to compared to what the the general uh, average would be for for that organization, uh, especially with just what our industry and all that. Yeah. So, uh, I and you get you don't get your scores back, but you get comments back of what yeah. people thought, and that was kind of a, I was well spoken. Clearly, yeah. um, I, I was really commended on a lot of my ideas. A lot of the negative comments were or. Things that would need improvement is how it's word were uh were basically like, Oh, you might have been hung up on this part of the the discussion yeah. too much or or stuff like it, that. I was sh- told I have a very intense listening face was another oh,
0: one. Fair. I was <laughs> it made me think of the picture when we had the photo shoot for uh nursery management yeah, pro yeah. and the um picture of us doing the podcast, yeah, you yeah. have a very intense listening yes. face yeah, on. Yeah. But it's so. it seems like one of those things that had you been coached by someone that had been through it and could give you some of those tips that perhaps, like, it seems like some of it's like not a game, but like, yeah. there's a you were saying, oh, like, no, there's, a reci- yeah, there's a recipe, there's a recipe
1: to how to do it well. And, um, and I that I did not have the recipe going in, um, but it also some of it's just luck of the draw, too. You're you get to do two of them to see if you move on to the okay. top 16, and then from there, the top four, and, um, and it it can really depend on who your judges are and who your competitors are. The first room I was in, I was like, oh man, this is actually not that hard. I, there's a a guy from Georgia who is really good. And then, um, then the rest of the group was like one of another one was really good, but not as good as the guy from Georgia. And then you had two that were maybe a little bit, uh, not as, as comfortable public speaking. And then the next group I was in, two of them actually made it on. One of them came in second in the entire thing. And, um, yeah, but they were all really polished, and I I was definitely on the lower end of that group. Gotcha. But uh, yeah, it just depends. But it's luck of the draw. It's not a, it's not like it's. But it's a, yeah. it's a great experience. It's a shame you only get to do it once. It's a great experience, and I think it really prepared. Even though it was a, like I did it for a day, that part of it, um, it prepared me or taught me a lot about how to, to, um, communicate with people. Like I was thinking, and it's like because you really have to, it's you're not debating you're you're talking and you have to be friendly. You can disagree with someone, yeah. but you have to do it in a respectful way. It's like it really you go through it and you're like, oh wow, this is you feel like you like you really solved something at the end of the discussion,
0: which is so, all. It, it it there's definitely a way to like present your ideas in a way that they're going to be yeah like
1: taken very seriously mm-hmm. yep. like and i yep. would have
0: that's an art form you oh, know yeah. and it's it's a great learning experience yeah, it sounded like cool. a great time
1: but uh, but, but since i was going to utah i figured well why don't i bring my family and we'll spend a couple extra days out there <laughs> so we <laughs> went to uh to canyonlands national park for a little over half a day and then we did um arches national park for a full day and then we actually went back and did like a sunrise hike the, oh, the next cool. morning and just a completely different landscape um From being from the East Coast, you don't see mountains. So you're in the mountains. And one of my favorite parts is you had your like traditional snow capped mountains, probably, it seemed like they were like 50, 60 miles away. But from the horizon viewpoint, it looked like they were right next to these like desert southwest red rock mountains, Um, like those red rock mesas. And uh, I'm like, where is that transition line? Because that's got to be a really cool place where it transitions from one spot to Uh, the next. And I'm sure it's drawn out over many, many miles, but from 50, 60 miles in from the mountains, it looks like they're right next to each other. And, uh yeah, so we did a bunch of hiking, saw a lot of cool plants. Um, I'd be interested to see it in, like, the spring and summer yeah. when you have some some things blooming, just to see how much is actually blooming there. Yeah. Because you go into the visitor center, and they show, you like, different flowers. Like, they had a, a prickly pear. They had a and Oh, awesome. um It was, I think it was like a red penstemon, if I remember correctly. And uh, all these native, they were really like playing up the whole native plant thing. And don't, it was, uh, what was the phrase they used? They have like a really dry, crusty soil. And they were saying, if you were to, when you step on the crust of that soil, it can take like, I want to say it was like five to 10 years to repair itself and like up to 50 years to actually fully repair the soil function. Oh, wow. They only get... On average, I think it's like four inches of rain a year yeah. in that area. Um, so, I think like you get they got some snow when we were there, but uh, yeah, you can just tell it's super arid, really, really dry, and um, and the plants reflect that. It had that deserty look because it, it's a desert. It's a so, it's a
0: cool experience, especially. Yeah. I mean, your your son was there, so he got to experience that oh, yeah, for the, yeah. the first time. Yep. I know it's funny when you're saying like coming from the East Coast, what you think are mountains aren't really mountains. Oh, not not at all. Like one of the first times I was in – was it Oregon or Washington State? Like I was at the owner's house from Briggs Nursery, and it's kind of hidden from the front view. But when you go in the backyard, Mount Rainier was perfectly framed in the backyard. But you couldn't really see it from the front, and it seemed so close, but he's like, oh, this isn't close at all. Yeah, Like it felt like you could walk there. Yeah. but he was like no that's like a quite a drive you know it was just and you're like that's a mountain <laughs> yeah you know or the first time you go to Mount Hood you're like yeah this is a little yeah different. that was
1: uh something I told my wife um because I was I, and I drew like I've flown in Denver and then drone up drove in, up into the mountains there before but I was telling my wife I'm like it's gonna seem like the mountain is right there and it's not right there and uh but of course it's it was snowing when we were driving down so the the cloud cover was really low and she couldn't see anything. And then when, when we were driving back, it was a nice sunny day. And then I was like, see how those mountains that are up there? How far away do you think they are? And, then, like, it turned out they were, like, 35 miles away because yeah. we were driving through them. Um, and we could see but uh, or actually measure how far they were. But it's like, yeah, they feel like they're right there, yeah. but they really aren't that close. Cool. Um, well, I'm glad yeah. you had a no, good trip. Awesome Welcome trip. back. So Welcome I, back. I I got to botanize a little bit, but it's uh, <laughs> I think it would be fun to go back at a different time of year and just see how different it is. Yeah, But, yeah, they had all kinds of, like, a a western – I can't remember the names of them off the top of my head. There was a a cedar that looked very similar to red cedar. Um, And then male and females because the one had berries. And, uh, yeah, a lot of cool plants out there.
0: I was – after seeing your pictures, it's not quite the same, but it made me think of – I was reminiscing about my trip to Montana that I did about 10 years ago. And I was like, man, I really enjoyed that. Like, it's a shame I haven't been back. Mm -hmm. But – so what do you what do you want to do next? You can
1: see what we have on the docket for follow up. I guess um, let's mean, talk about uh let's well let's talk about the New Jersey invasive plants bill. Okay, I know that's skipping a little further ahead. No, it's okay.
0: It's it's something that we were in Baltimore. Were we in Baltimore at the time?
1: We were. We were um, in Baltimore
0: that it came out that or maybe no. I think we it was right before we left. Right before we
1: left. Yeah, it was because i i was I was talking about it with someone in the office, and then I it was like ten minutes went by. I'm like, "Well, it it got vetoed." Yeah, we so.
0: were doing some. I can't remember what it was, but the news came out. We were in the middle of something that the yeah. that the governor vetoed the New Jersey Invasive plan. Yeah,
1: yeah, which seems like a, a major setback, yeah. and it and it also have worked on it. Feels like a major setback. However, it's uh, if you read what he actually wrote. Um, it's he really likes the bill. Yeah, the issue he had is it wasn't inclusive enough. You needed, and there's I don't know how much I should actually say about the behind I, the scenes working.
0: Yeah, I don't know. But yeah,
1: there is uh, he he really wanted D P to be involved, and um, so which is going to be uh an interesting conversation coming up yeah. with okay. them because I guess he felt getting like them involved the
0: dep already not polices but it has it's some,
1: invo- yeah they has some oversight there and they should continue to have some oversight from I know from a uh I was working from the nursery standpoint um involving other nurseries that really had skin in the game there but uh we were overviewed by Department of Ag... So to invite DEP in is like a little bit, uh, usually when, uh, you have interactions with DEP as a nursery, it's, it's not a good thing. So they're (laughs) like, they're a little bit hesitant to, to say, Hey, we want DEP to have oversight of what we're doing. You're really only talking
0: to them when there's a problem.
1: Exactly. It's
0: not like they're coming out to say, Hey, how you doing?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, we had a inspection earlier this year, um, from dp about uh like our water usage and the guy's emailing back and forth he's like i'm really excited to come out there because i really love what you guys do and he's like i just hope i don't have to write you any, <laughs> any citations or anything
0: but um we actually actually in the yeah. i don't know if you read it, it when we do listener shout outs or someone that's actually retired DEP that made a comment mm-hmm.
1: so. yeah so um
0: so no, it's yeah. so it's it's not as if it's not going to happen. No, he, it just needs to be reworked. Yeah, the governor wants
1: it to happen and um he just he's like, I you're not doing this without the D being involved. Yeah. And at the realistically, the if really pulling back the curtain here from conversations I had with people after the fact was he the original intention was to give a conditional veto, meaning that it would go back to the Senate and then they had to add in certain things that he wanted, yeah. quick approval, and come yeah. back, he'd approve it. Yeah. So, like, add in the DEP. I think there's something else he wanted added in. Um, and uh, oh, there was the last minute, there was a, a Japanese barberry. There was uh, a, something that happened. There was exempt cultivars that uh, that were then taken off. And then the nursery industry was like, hey, why we need to put these back on. And that was going to be part of it too. yeah so the original issue was a conditional veto and uh, to basically fix some things and then then he would come back. The issue was this was on I think January 8th yeah and uh, it literally had like hours to do this and there's like there's no way gonna it's going to get done, so just give it a full veto and it, it was, had it had to get fully yeah. vetoed there was conditional veto wasn't an option yeah
0: and it was disappointing because of all the bills that were passed during that session. And there were only two bills vetoed, and that was one of them. Yeah. But after reading the description, you're like, I, I get it. Yeah. I understand. And
1: I will uh, – I, I, I've seen some confusion about the bill, bill online, um, and I just didn't want to get into an a, a, um, argument with someone. I, And this but, is coming
0: from t- – like, and, and, like yeah. you're getting information from Tom who's involved yeah. in this there process. There is
1: some confusion that the bill didn't actually ban the sale of invasive plants, but some people get a permit to grow them. Which is kind of how it appears to be written, but it's not, that's not actually what it's written. The permitting process is basically like, hey, we're researching uh, Japanese barberry berries for a, uh, like a cancer drug. So we need to be able to grow them for that. Yeah. It's, those are the kind of permits you get. There's, there's another one where there's a grass that's used in sheep grazing. Okay. that's an invasive species, but the grass actually works as an antibiotic for the sheep. So that the farmer does not have to, and treats like some kind of stomach worm, I think. So it's like, without the grass, the farmer is, one, paying a lot of money for the antibiotics, and two, can't sell the product because it takes longer for the antibiotics to work out of the system um, for them to sell it because they can't sell it with antibiotics in the meat. And um, so where the alternative is they just have this grass as part of their pasture mix gotcha and um so those are the permits it's not oh well i'm gonna pay a hundred bucks and now i can grow and sell as much japanese barberries want that is not the case (laughs) but that's how i kind of saw iterated one time and on or a couple times online i'm like no it's actually banning the sale yeah Uh, you over there's a phase out period and once that phase out period's over you can't sell them anymore so
0: yeah. Awesome. Awesome. You want to talk about Mance? Yeah. Yeah. I think we can. We should do that. Yeah. Uh, so Mid-Atlantic Nursery Trade Show. So this is an industry trade show. It's not a native plant conference. It's a, a nursery trade show of all types, even equipment, everything. And it's probably the largest one of its kind in the country. And it's the first one to happen every year. It's in Baltimore. And it's a very, a lot of the times you can go to the show and kind of Get oh. a.
1: <laughs> that was bound to happen. Sorry, everyone. No. <laughs> that, that very strange noise. I'm sure you're wondering. Tom's what that microphone
0: was. stand is broken. You're going to have to turn it, I think. Yeah. Tom's microphone stand is broken. And we just had the conversation beforehand. We're going to try to get through today because it has to be. Oh, that came out.
1: Uh oh. There, oh, there's the, the right. heart. Yeah, I
0: got Will it. Will it stay?
1: Yeah, I can no. hold it. I,
0: <laughs> I don't think you can. <laughs> I'll
1: just do this. <laughs>
0: all right (laughs) right. are you gonna do that for an hour i guess i have to right (laughs) right. we were saying we're gonna try to get through today's show because we have to pack up the equipment for a live podcast we're gonna switch out microphone stands for him but i guess it's not gonna happen so so you can get a good gauge of how the year is going to be based on the attitude of people that are attending the show yeah so there's been years where you go in and people like uh The year didn't end good, and I don't have a lot on the books for this year. And you can kind of gauge how everyone's feeling. And this year was like a, I I want to say it was the best showing in a decade. Would you agree?
1: Oh, yeah. With how busy
0: we were, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was unfortunately at COVID, which made it difficult. And the show was at a time of the year where it's pre booked and you can't just go virtual. I mean, we're talking. 2,000 exhibitors in a huge convention center. Yeah. And you can't just say we don't want it this year. Yep. Um, so it was – COVID, it went downhill. We were wondering if it was going to continue, and fortunately it did. Like, and it, it was a good show last year and this year even better. But I was curious of what your take was on this trade show and native plants.
1: Oh, it's – uh, we said last year too how native plants are becoming a buzzword – With uh, within just the nursery industry, and um, it's like there was even there was even more so this year.
0: There's people that had the same trade show booth for five years, and all of a sudden they have a sign tacked to the back that says native plants. Yeah, you know, or their booths or catalogs now say Mm -hmm. native plants, but just the demand. We were busier than we've ever been in our booth, Mm -hmm. and we're a booth right inside the front door. So you have moments where it's always overwhelming because you have hundreds of people walking in Mm -hmm. the show, and you're right there. Yeah. Uh, But the conversations we had, we didn't get out of our booth like – you well, had to for
1: business. Yeah, I did. But, but I was – yeah, I was – But you I had the, to. was in the case where I couldn't get back to the booth because yeah. I had so much going on.
0: So it so. was just and, – and speaking with our friendly competitors, who we, we had a great time. We had a, a native plant nursery meetup uh, the day before the trade show started, and we went to a brewery. And we went to dinner with some friends, and we met up throughout the mm-hmm. evenings yep. with other other nurseries and native plant people. Um it was just – I don't know. There were people coming up to the booth saying, I want to be a part of this movement. This is what I bring to the table. How can I be a part yeah. of it? Yeah. And it was just – we've never experienced that before, like mm-hmm. people taking notes, people going out of their way saying, I need to see you. I need to talk to you about native plants. It was different this yeah. year in a yeah, in a really good way, and we had some really good conversations, and its if that's any indication of what the year is going to be like, it's going to
1: be a phenomenal year. Yeah, I I agree. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was just very upbeat, very positive. So,
0: oh, totally, totally. We we had some fantastic conversations, met some great people, mm-hmm. um, and it was just there are some really good opportunities out there that you know organizations that you would love to be doing business with now now all of a sudden mm-hmm. see a need to to try to find a way to do business exactly yeah which was which is a good position to be yeah in, definitely.
1: So. And, uh, friend, you have on here, you have, um, that Melinda Soltis had, uh, had some information on a bill that she'd been, yeah. Working on, right? So,
0: Melinda Soltis, who's, uh, she, I can't remember the episode number, but it was Rewilding in an HOA from last year's one of our top five episodes of all time. Uh, and she shared her story about living in an HOA and the struggles that she's had in Virginia. She reached out to us last week just to say that Virginia has a new bill number. Uh, it's HB 528, which is supporting conservation landscaping in HOAs. Um, and uh, the description is one exciting initiative over the past few months has been partnering with local Fairfax County advocate Melinda Soltis, several of our partners, including Chesapeake Bay Foundation and the Virginia Native Plant Society, and ultimately delegate Krizic to help draft HB 528, which is legislation to ensure HOA residents have the ability to install conservation landscaping. For example, rain gardens, native plant gardens, and meadows on their private property, which is a fantastic step in Virginia. Um, if you go to natureforward.org, it has a link where you can automatically email your reps in Virginia. Uh, it puts yeah. a, a, a letter together for you, and you can email uh, directly. So they, they're they really looking for support. If you're in Virginia, this is exciting news. Mm-hmm. Go to yeah. natureforward.org and be a part of the movement.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. And uh, No, I, I love that they have that page set up that'll automatically email your representatives. That's something I see with a lot of other organizations um, yeah. that is happening. And it's cool to see it happening with uh, nature-based organizations. And, too.
0: And, and if you listen to Melinda's story, it, it's, you know, there was a lot of struggles along the way. So this is a major breakthrough, and she's doing some fantastic work. I know she's been doing panels with the Crouches and Nancy Lawson, mm-hmm. yeah, and really getting. You know, besides being on our podcast, afterwards she was on Joe Gardner. Mm-hmm. She's really making these problems aware. So the fact that they're actually getting some headway is fantastic yeah, news, definitely. and let's support it. Definitely. So and the so. last thing I wanted to cover, there was just. I feel like we've. We've done this, and I want to frame this in a positive Mm way. After 194 episodes, for as much as we're very flattered that everyone thinks that we're experts on a lot of topics, it's hard to be an expert on 194 different topics or even more considering what we discuss. I just hope that it's known or a given that whatever we present to you that… Don't just take our word for it. Sometimes we are experts on the topic. Sometimes we do a little bit of research and we present you with what we find and present it to you. But I think we've always said after you listen to this, go read a book on it. Take a class on it. Learn more. Don't just do what we say. Do a little bit more research. So I know there were some concerns with uh, some of the episodes that maybe there should have been a disclaimer. Mm -hmm. I just, there should be a blanket disclaimer. Like, we're, yeah. we never say, do, just do this. Mm-hmm. And I know we've given disclaimers when we had Samuel Taylor on and things like that. Yeah. And I just, I, I don't know that we need to say it every episode. I just want it to be known on every episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that should be the case.
1: Yeah. It's, a uh, it's, we're, I hope what we're saying sparks some interest, but like, it makes you I, think this, and- I say this with every facet of life is, Look it up. Try and verify it a couple of different places before uh, before you actually do it. So yeah, um, yeah,
0: yeah. It's um we we pre- we've presented a lot of information over the last four years, and and a lot of these topics. There's varying de- various degrees on how those topics should be handled. So you really do your research. Like I would, I would. Be really surprised if anyone you know and i've had people joke with me it's like oh i should go out and test test mushrooms with the bottom of my tongue yeah. like no please yeah. don't yeah. please please don't do that you know it's we uh some of them are just our opinions some of them are our personal experiences mm-hmm. um and there's a lot of variables for a lot of these things that you know and i know the conversation came up with the poinsettias you know it's it's uh there's a lot of variables in all these things oh
1: yeah yeah please do your research yeah uh, and and when you hear something, this is what I encourage folks to do: is when you hear that we've said something, and you you have uh, a contrary opinion and have um, resources to back it up, then yeah, reach out to us about it. I think that was a good thing. Yeah, with that poinsettia conversation, is I a lot of the things I saw in the um when I featured as my my plant, uh, which we're going to be doing coming up with that's hot this week. Is uh oh, there's numerous resources saying hey this is there, there's a myth that this is actually poisonous, but um but there has, isn't actually any research showing that it is, and uh and that's not me saying that I was Colorado State and I'm finding Texas A&M University of Virginia, uh, Ohio State, uh, New York Botanical Garden all have articles about this of research that was conducted saying that they fed animals and people poinsettias and never found a, a toxicity, but it is widely reported that it is toxic. Yeah. But uh, but then you have people who wrote in saying, hey, we have contrary experiences. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, and it's good to know that information. So if you have that contrary experience, and that we want to know about that stuff too because it's, it's good to – there's a book Think Again by Adam Grant where he's – one of the opening things is it's good to find out you're wrong because now you know you're one class, one step closer to being right. Yeah. So
0: yeah. and, and we've we've come across this ourselves doing a native plant every day, doing research on a specific plant. How many times did we find contradicting evidence that one plant like this plant's toxic, but yet they used it to eat for the oh, yeah. you know, it's like yeah. there's rumors that it's or or evidence that it's toxic and non toxic at the yes. same time. Yeah. Or um Oh, there was another example I was gonna give, just where it's like you get evidence to both ways and trying to figure out which ones like I've had like while looking up where it says this plant is the host of this butterfly and then it's like no it's known that this this other plant is the only host for this yeah. butterfly so you really have to can't you can't just rely on one reliable source mm-hmm. you have to really do due yeah. diligence. And really go down the rabbit hole to make sure you're presenting at
1: least the most accurate information you can. As a little aside here, one of the presentations, um, I'm trying to look up who the guy was, but one of the presentations at this Farm Bureau convention was he was a futurist. And a major topic he talked about was, was how, like, 40 years ago, how hard it was to get information. Yeah. And now it is so incredibly easy, but it's worse because it's so incredibly easy to get the wrong information too. And especially when you have uh, people trying to manipulate yeah. what you see. And um, and he's bringing it up in forms of like Russia and Iran or basically, and with AI technology can make really, really convincing, uh, even live videos of things happening. Yeah. And um his main point was uh, this is you have outside influences trying to turn the American people against each other and and are doing that successfully in a yeah. lot of cases. as we saw with the 2016 election, 2020 election, now this 2024 election sure is going to happen again. Um, he's like, we are not we should not be fighting against each other because of an outside influence. So when you see these things, verify them. <laughs> Don't yeah. just believe them but um uh, and, and it's just getting harder and harder because you will see the same video or or report in 20 different places and it makes it really convincing that it's true but it's just they're all citing the yeah. same source
0: and you know we have some pretty knowledgeable friends for from the for this podcast it's we can't go to the well every time we're looking up a piece of <laughs> information oh, yeah, yeah. you know it's for as much as i would love to i think some of them would get sick of hearing from me if i was contacting them every week asking for, for certain opinions so we we do the best we can we do we do some research and try to make sure we're presenting you with what we feel is is fairly accurate for the to the best of our knowledge so uh but a lot of this it is a show a lot of this is our opinion also yeah. so.
1: the guy's name was uh, Jack Aldrich and it okay. was really uh, it, he had a couple books out but um yeah the other point I really liked of his was uh was about especially with agriculture it's good to have a mentor as a younger person it's good to have a mentor someone who's been in the business yeah. and but he really advocated for the the outgoing generation to have unmentors of younger people who could teach them <laughs> all the new stuff that's coming along because if you he was really saying if you if you're stagnant you're going yeah you're going you, away you should constantly it's, be growing you should constantly be be learning the world is changing around you. So unless you're changing too, you're getting left behind. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: No, totally. Totally. So I think that's all our follow-up. I think mm-hmm. we covered – that was a lot of follow, I don't know oh, yeah, follow-up. Oh, yeah. That's probably the most
1: follow-up we've ever had. <laughs> but, you uh, you want to do a little that's that song? Yeah, let's do it. Hot.
0: All right. You want to do rock, paper, scissors, see who goes first?
1: Uh, I'm just going to let you go first. Okay. All right. Cool.
0: So I, I thought of this – after going down memory lane – For the Meet Franchismar episode, I was thinking about an incident that happened with one of my first, you know, year or two in the nursery industry. And it had to do with this plant, because it was a twelve foot Crtagis phenopyrum that was being moved across the nursery with a forklift. And this was back you know, this is why we have OSHA. I was standing on the forks Mm -hmm. with one hand on the boom and one hand on the plant. And the, the ball of the tree slipped through the forks, but the forklift operator wasn't paying attention and pinned my head between the boom
1: oh, and the tree. Yeah.
0: And Cortegus phenopyrum has thorns on it that are an inch to two inches long. Mm-hmm. And one of them nearly completely pierced my ear. Like oh, it was yeah. – so I was a little bit of a bloody mess, and I'm like, I want to look up this plant. And it is native, like – and it was – Mm-hmm. It's not something I've ever seen on a spec, um, and it's – if you look at the Bone app map, it's very sporadically native. So the plant I'm talking about is the, – the long way around is Washington Hawthorne, which is Cata- Cretagus phenopyrum. It's sporadically native from southern New York to Florida and west of Missouri, and when I say sporadically, it might be three to four counties in each state. Really? Wow. Yeah, so it's not widespread. So it's it's pretty specific. Um, this information comes from wildflower.org. It's a dense, round-headed tree that gets up to 30 foot tall with slender thorns up to three inches. I I underestimate it. Uh, Broadly triangular, deciduous leaves turn yellow to orange or scarlet in the fall. Uh, Short trunk and regular rounded crown of upright branches, abundant small flowers in spring, uh, many small round red fruits and brilliant autumn foliage hairless throughout clusters of white apple-like blossoms precede bright red berries which persist into the winter the trunk bark is silvery gray and scaly twigs are flaky red brown there is a strong horizontal branching habit one of the showiest and most desirable the hawthorns for planting in the early 19th century is introduced into pennsylvania from washington dc as a hedge plant and is thus called washington thorn oh, cool. the latin species name refers to the pear-like foliage Although susceptible to fire blight, several species of rust and insect damage. This is one of the most tolerant and pest-free hawthorns. Thorns are dangerous. Do not use this tree where small children play. Thorns are very large. Um, it attracts hummingbirds, butterflies, and bees for its nectar. Uh, cedar waxwings, quail, and turkeys, and small mammals will all consume the fruit. The thorns uh, provide such a dense habitat Um an important thicket cover for wildlife and nesting sites for birds and deer do avoid the plant. So it does have its issues, you know, and it doesn't help that you do have many calorie pairs out there that, yeah. that get fire blight or host for fire blight that doesn't help this plant. But this is a plant 30 years ago, 35 years ago, was more readily used in the landscape, not something I've seen as often. But it does have that brilliant red uh, – berry in the winter that birds like and it is important because the the thorns do protect them to be able to yeah uh important habitat Mm -hmm. like protection so it's it's one of those ones that i've seen it multi-stem i've seen it single stem Mm -hmm. i don't know how easy it is to find in the the trade anymore but it's it's a great winter plant it has great structure the thorns are kind of cool the red berries the white those small white flowers in the spring kind of like what you would picture on a chokeberry Mm-hmm. Um, but in more clustered form. Uh, okay, so it's yeah, it's a pretty cool plant. If 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 you get it, I I would love it. It's just so sporadic in its native yeah. habitat, and even looking like it seems like it's more native in the mountainous ranges okay. of New Jersey, yeah. than the
1: coastal plain. Maybe oh, cool. more Piedmont. So yeah, and, oh, that sounds like a really cool plant. It's one I'm not familiar with. So yeah, and yeah. it's
0: native to New Jersey, so it's it's kind of cool. It's like, and when I say it's native to New York, it's at southern. It's like Westchester County. Okay. Like it's at yeah. southern tip of New York, so yep. we're really almost at its northernmost. Gotcha, northernmost range. Gotcha. So, and I, I see. I, was this uh, sparked by your trip to? Yeah, this was to sparked Utah? My,
1: my trip, friend. And uh, I've had so many great uh, species of plants to look at when I was, um, as I already said, when I was at the national parks in southeastern Utah. Um, but, and I was like, oh, man, which one am I going to pick? And we, through one of our Farm Bureau tours, we visited a, uh, a sawmill. Really? And I was like, oh, this is a much cooler story. I'm sure the, those plants have cooler stories, but the guy had a really cool story about my plant this week, which is a uh, Picea englemanii, uh, uh, or the Engelman spruce. Very which nice. Which is a, a, definitely a West Coast plant. Yes. It's like Rocky Mountains West. Um, and it grows at super high elevations, as I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about here. The information I'm going to provide in this section is from Utah State, and that is the, the Engelman spruce is a large tree averaging 30 inches in diameter and 90 feet in height. The crown in, is uh, pyramidal with the top somewhat rounded and limbs extending to, uh, to near the ground. Branches are in whorls. At very high elevations, the crown becomes distorted or the whole tree may grow low and shrubby in appearance. The trees grow rather slowly, reaching mature size in about 150 years, but may live 400 or more years. Engelman spruce is found in some of the highest and coldest forest environments in the western United States, characterized by long, cold winters with heavy snowpack and short, cool summers. Native Americans used Engelman spruce for numerous purposes. The bark was often peeled in the sheets and used for making canoes, baskets, and roofing. The fibrous roots were used to make rope, and the boughs and needles were uh, to make incense, body scents, and cleansing agents. Various teas and... Uh, poultices, I'm gonna guess is how you pronounce that word, uh, were made from Engelman spruce for medicinal purposes. Native Americans occasionally ate inner bark. Uh now what was interesting about this is as we're visiting this uh this sawmill, um the guy who's running it, uh actually so was I forget how many generations he was. He'd lived in Utah, or his family had lived in Utah, but he said that his I think it was his great grandfather delivered the first load of lumber to Brigham Young when Brigham Young came to Utah. Really to to build their settlement. So they'd been there a long time, basically. Wow. Um. And he was saying, I guess a lot of the uh, the uh, lumber harvest that they do come off of Forest Service land, okay. and they they're buying it from the Forest Service. And he's like. The, it used to be the Forest Service would go and mark the trees that you could cut. And uh, so you'd have like a, a lease on some acreage. Yeah. They wouldn't go in and mark the trees that you could cut, and then you paid them for basically what you cut down. And, uh, and then, they would, then you're selling the lumber. Really important lumber species out in the western half of the U.S. He said now there is a, uh, a spruce bark beetle oh. that's killed a lot of these trees. And and we got to see some of the trees that they were cutting down that were killed. And he's like, now the Forest Service, because of all these wildfires, is just having them come in and cut down everything. Wow. So we, he's like, we got to cut down stuff that we don't even want um, for the lumber industry because we'd have to just clear it out. Yeah. And so they're cutting down trees that have been dead for sometimes a few years, up to like 10 years old, which lowers the market value of a lot of these trees too. Cause they start to check and, and split and yeah. get holes in them and, and cracks. So, um, and we got to see some of that, but, uh, yeah, it's this spruce bark beetle has really wow. decimated a lot of the populations. And he's like, we just got to go in and clear cut and bring it all back. Wow. Um, and then they're letting, uh, new regrow. Um, so yeah, it was just a really interesting story and seeing some of these trees, like we had my son who's 40 inches tall yeah. and you have, or 42 inches tall. And he's standing, and there's trees that they had that were a good like six inches taller than he was. Wow! Or, or I should not taller um, in diameter. Yeah. So when they're laying yeah. down, their diameter was a good six inches. Wow. Uh, bigger than he was. So that's pretty crazy. It was really, really cool seeing that process and uh, and how they work together with the Forest Service on a lot of these things, and how like I guess it's sad that they have to go and and clear cut these things, yeah. but it's otherwise you have potential. Uh, fuel for wildfires or major potential fuel for wildfires uh, that they can't handle, which puts a lot of other things at risk. And and this was only maybe twenty minutes from Park City, Utah, so where a lot of a lot of really nice uh, nice homes are. So pretty cool. Yeah.
0: No, those are two great two great plants. Something we we covered something we typically don't cover and gave some really good options. So if if you can come across either of these and they're you're in the zones where they're native, I think. Not everyone's going to plant a uh, has the space to plant a tree that's going to live for 400 years and get that tall, uh, and not everyone's going to be able to plant a plant that has three inch thorns. If if you have children, but uh, if you have the right spot and you're in the right area and you get your hands on either of these two, I think it would make a great yeah, uh, addition sure. to your your properties.
1: Stay tuned for more of the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast presented by Pine Nursery. Welcome back to the Native
0: Plants Healthy Planet podcast, presented by Pine Lands Nursery. I'm just for the sake of time. Let's move on and do a little bit of this or that. All right, so we we do have a winner, and just to recap. The last articles on episode 192, I had the article about the Michigan seed experiment. And Tom's article was on the origin of the poinsettia. And I have been chosen the winner as a vote of 13 to 4. I was kind of shocked how many people voted that way. Um, we have to do I I feel I have to do a better job of bumping the article as we get closer. Yeah, we get a lot of votes early on too. and then there's a lot of posts and it goes down. So yeah. I have to try to remember like in a week to just bump it back up so people remember to vote. Mm-hmm. We have been pinning it to the top of the native plants. Yeah. Native plant yeah. Facebook group. So um I'm gonna let you go first. All right. This yeah. this week. I, I think I, I typically think. go first, but you have my my article Although very noteworthy, is very short mm-hmm. um, and isn't going to take much time to cover. Yeah, so,
1: I'm this is very uncharacteristic of you, how short I, that article is. I'm not really mm-hmm. happy.
0: Like I
1: will say this. I, I had a,
0: a few of our listeners reach out with articles, mm-hmm. um, and the one I chose, I love the article, but it's not very in-depth. Yeah. And the one I wanted to use, literally within minutes of the person sending it to me, someone posted it. A very similar article mm-hmm. in the Facebook group and there were some conversations on it and I felt it was like two different po- two different parts of a project and I felt it was too close and that it had been too covered and I went with this mm-hmm. one but but uh yours has a lot more substance so I wanted to let you I wanted to let you go first
1: uh yeah and I'm not gonna read all of this I'm gonna let uh let folks at home read the rest of it on their own but i'm gonna read some um and talk about uh, a controversial article okay and i saw this shared by benjamin Vogt on on his page and uh and i figured out you know what i i'd love i think a lot of this is really interesting so i want to touch on it and then uh then i'll share my personal opinions on article when i'm done all right so the name of my article was rethinking monarchs does the beloved butterfly need our help it was published in uh yale's 360 um on january 15th and it was by janet marinelli and uh so yeah like i said i'll read a little bit and then i'm going to give some my thoughts awesome uh, when I decide I don't want to read anymore, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not reading it.
0: Well, I'm looking at. I'm like, do I try to follow along? Like a lot of the times, I'll follow along yeah. as
1: you're reading, and
0: I'm looking. I'm like, I don't know if I
1: can follow. Yeah, along. Yeah, yeah. There's ones. a lot here. So, all right. To the help, uh, to help the monarch butterfly, Texas writer Charles or Charlie Scudder decided to home rear its caterpillars. Checking the milkweed in his garden one August evening, he spotted two of the flamboyant black, white, and yellow striped creatures. After naming them Poncho and Lefty after the Towns Van, Dan- Van Zant song which is a song I love, <laughs> by the way. Um, he moved them into a mesh butterfly cage. He checked on them several days, cleaning out their copious caterpillar poop, waiting for with great anticipation to see them attached to the wall of the cage to form their chrysalises and even eventually emerge as black and orange adult butterflies festooned with white spots. But to Scudder's dismay, one day Lefty began to shrivel. In a few hours, he was gone. Pancho was eaten by fire ants just before his transformation. Convinced that the species is teetering on the brink of extinction, 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 tens of thousands of monarch lovers have taken the butterfly's fate into their own hands. Every year, summer wanes, monarch east of the Rocky Mountains undertake a grueling 3,000 mile migration, fluttering from their breeding grounds in the U.S. and Canada to their winter home on the rugged peaks of central Mexico's transvolcanic belt. Since the 1990s, when the overwintering colonies began a steep decline the last 20 years, people have been rearing eggs and caterpillars in mesh enclosures on their porches and kitchen tables and releasing the adult butterflies. Aware that in the wild, only 5% of monarch caterpillars reach adulthood, these home rearers believe their efforts will boost their number of butterflies able to make it in Mexico. Many belong to Facebook groups that offer encouragement, and often, when the caterpillars do not survive, condolences, with computer screams erupting and crying face emojis. But a handful of recent studies have rocked that uh, the small and dis- Oh man, that's a word I've never Dis- seen before. Disputatious. Disputatious. Yeah, yeah. Disputatious world of monarch science, suggesting, in the words of University of Georgia ecologist Andy David, Andy Davis, that everything we thought and we knew about the monarch population is wrong, and that the butterfly does not need our help. In fact, scientists saying say that home rearing and commercial breeding of monarchs and the release of them at weddings, funerals, and other events is one of the biggest threats that the butterfly now faces. Two studies in particular have challenged the conventional wisdom about the monarchs publishing in Current uh, Current Biology in September. Researchers sequenced the DNA of the butterfly's primary host plant, common milkweed, uh, which is Asclepia syriaca, and analyzed existing monarch DNA, concluded that neither the monarch nor the milkweed had suffered a catastrophic decline in the past 75 years. Their findings contradicted the widely held belief that the butterfly is imperiled due to, its erati- due, due to the eradication of the of milkweed by the spread of agriculture using the herbicide glyphosate and genetically modified crops, especially in the Midwest. In a 2022 article, the Global Change Biology, a statistical analysis of the North American Butterfly Associations, which is NABA, a massive database, also found that the butterfly had suffered no sharp decline across its summer breeding range, as has been the prevailing view, and that the population there has actually increased by some 30% in the last 25 years. There clearly are long-term declines in winter colony size, says Davis, a co-author of the study, but they do not appear to be affecting the collective breeding population of the eastern monarchs. Monarch scientists are split in two camps, with one group continuing to maintain that the loss of milkweed is threatening the butterfly in the summer breeding grounds, and therefore fewer butterflies are reaching Mexico. For this reason, they insist, the species must be protected under the U.S. Endangered Species Act. The other camp, of which Davis is a leader, it contends that it is problems encountered during the return trip to Mexico that have resulted in the diminished winter colonies, but not in the butterfly summer range in the U.S. and Canada, where the population has been able to bounce back, pointing to the growing number of monarchs that now forgo the migration, feed, and breed year-round in Florida and across the southeast coast. These scientists believe that the butterfly is in little danger of disappearing, though its epic migration is in peril. I do not think monarchs are currently threatened or an endangered species, says Emory University biologist, uh, Yap derood, or Yap derood, especially uh, because the species is no longer in danger of becoming extinct, derood and others oppose listing it as an endangered species, and they believe that the fervor generated by constant assertions that the monarch is facing imminent extinction has spurred the public to engage in activities that are actually hastening the migration's demise. While researchers wrangle over this new research. There is a universal agreement that about the danger posed by the naturally occurring parasite, uh, which I'm going to refer to as OE because I cannot pronounce the yeah. uh, scientific name. Uh, although I will try for comedic effect. <laughs> 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 which is I yeah Circa? Sirha? Yeah. Yeah. O- Ophricytis electrosyrica? Chira. Chira. Yeah. Chira. That sounds right. Uh, a steady stream of studies has demonstrated that the parasite weakens the butterfly, making it less likely that they can complete the migration. The Xerxes Society has published a joint statement signed by 10 top monarch biologists warning against the captive rearing and releasing of monarchs by backyard and commercial breeders. Such activities, they wrote, promote crowding and disease spread. One thing COVID-19 taught us is that social distancing can help reduce the spread of infectious diseases. Notes Darude, the same holds true for monarch and OE parasite. The Root is a co-author of a third, a third potentially game-changing study published in the Journal of Animal Ecology in 2022. It found that there has been a significant rise in OE prevalence since the early two, uh, 2000s. The researchers attribute the spike to the increased density of monarchs in places where they lay their eggs, due in large part to the mass rearing of monarch, uh, monarchs in confined spaces and the widespread planting in recent years of non-native milkweeds, including the tropical milkweed Asclepius curasava. Uh, which is favored by monarch admirers. The surge in paraticism, they warn, may already be impairing the species' migration. The research indicates that in years when summer OE infection rates were high, the winter colony size was unexpectedly low. But emerging science has not dissuaded monarch advocates from engaging in potentially damaging practices. Uh, Donna Thompson, a hospice nurse who rears uh, monarchs, in part to donate to grieving families for release at memorial services, and who launched a Facebook group Donna's Monarch Monarch. Donna's Monarch Butterfly Sanctuary, she says, does not believe much of the research. I'm grateful that there are others who are willing to do what we can to help the monarch before it's too late, she posted in December. Otherwise, those scientists will be scratching their heads one day saying, I wish we had. You want me to keep going or should I I pause there?
0: That's that's up to you. Yeah. I'm, I'm so intrigued by this, and I kind of feel like it kind of even – Goes in the direction of the conversation we had to beginner, saying, yeah. "Do your research." Yeah. Here you have multiple types of research on the same thing, and people believing one and not the other, and split. Yeah. And it's and that's not that the science changes, the information ch- or the the calculations get better in uh, better information,
1: yes. or different information, yeah, yeah. And sometimes you can look at the same set of statistics and come to different conclusions. Yeah. Um I I feel like I'm studying to read or struggling to read a little bit as I said no, the wrong word there. So I'm I am going to pause there for a little bit and uh I do encourage everyone to read the rest. There's quite that's maybe half of the entire article. Yeah. And um, and there's
0: a lot of great information. It's it's one of those things where it just makes you and we we come across this in, on so many topics within our own field, how many times have we had the discussion for and against Fragmites? Oh yeah, based on the yeah. science and what it does. I feel that there's different camps on a lot of these things and so much science it goes into and it's how you decipher the evidence or how you decipher the the results mm-hmm. and it's it, it can be looked at many different ways and it's difficult to decide what's what and maybe it's a combination of all. I I don't know. Like mm-hmm. if if you had to pick a side right now, would you be able to or could you? Me? Uh,
1: so I I I don't know. I I I don't what I don't like um or something that I I think is is misguided is the uh like captive raising of monarch yeah. caterpillars. Yeah. And I remember doing it. We did it as a Uh, actually I think it was my mom who started it with our school in third grade. And that was like a thing I think may even still continue as they raise uh, monarch caterpillars and then release them, which I think from a school's sake has educational value. Yes, Um, Or it could have very traumatic effects on the children. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I always – I don't think that's um, necessarily the right – uh, the right move because you have a lot of folks who are, are well-intentioned but not as knowledgeable that are are really taking a lot of charge. There. There's And that's not saying that's the, the – I'm not trying to use that as a generalization. Yeah. I think a lot of people who do it are very knowledgeable about it uh, yeah. in addition to being well-intentioned. But there's people who are well-intentioned but not knowledgeable that are maybe causing more harm than good. Yeah.
0: I mean for with without doing the survey myself yeah. I think it would be pretty or fairly easy to believe that there less Asclepius exist due to population increases and development and agricultural. Yeah. I would I would tend to agree or tend to think that there's a decline only because of defragmentation and loss of habitat.
1: Yeah. I would think yeah, no, and I think that's where I'm like, well, I, I would assume, yeah, that like so many other things that because of that fragmentation and like you don't have the continuous uh, environments, um, that that would be taking a or its toll on monarch caterpillars. Later yeah. in the article, um, and I was looking for this and I couldn't find it. They're actually writing how. Uh, if you really look at the United States, you had European colonization, they came and chopped down a lot of trees or, yeah. or cleared a lot of habitats, which really caused a boom in common milkweed. And if you actually look at uh or if you look at historical research about the prevalence of common milkweed, we're way higher now than we were at Uh, like in 17 or 1610 or whatever it would be um, pre-colonization as what they're kind of inferring. So because we changed the landscape and made a landscape that was common milkweed could thrive on. And with that came this boom in monarch caterpillars or monarch butterflies because they had way more food source, but it was really an artificial surge. And now we're looking at numbers that are coming back down to where they probably were historically, yeah. according to some of these researchers. Um, it looks like this, jo- oh, we've lost so many, when realistically we might be where, leveling, out. leveling out to yeah. where they should be um, I, historically. Like historically over uh, thousands of years, not the last decade
0: or we, uh, last uh, hundred years. And we've had this conversation in so many different ways. Pre-colonization, a lot of this land was being managed. Yes. It's not as if it was yeah. wild and untouched. Mm-hmm. And then – with what happened maybe maybe after colonization the land wasn't managed as well as yeah. it had been it was prior managed differently differently okay. than it had been prior, causing spikes and declines of of other species and, and so forth. So it's not as there's always been human intervention, I guess mm-hmm. yeah. to say to certain yeah. degrees. What what is your what is your baseline? Where are you trying to get it back to? Yeah. I don't think yeah. you know we found from a lot of these conversations that we don't know much past the the 60s at best because a lot of these studies hadn't. Mm-hmm. I just find it interesting in Europe those studies go back a lot further than here. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. that we found with yeah. Oliver Millman when he was doing mm. the insect crisis, but it's I, I who know like we. I'm sure has a big factor in this. I'm sure a lot of these yeah. all have factors and I'm sure the that they the actual answer is a combination of all yeah. these
1: things. And one of my my personal biases with monarchs is I'm not uh I wouldn't say I'm like the biggest monarch let me rephrase that. I'm not a, I'm not a monarch fanboy. I think yeah. they're cool. I think the story's cool. I appreciate them more for how they're helping get into people's minds yes. and have them think about conservation and and uh restorations and how that um, the trickle down. Yeah. So, oh yeah, yeah. Do it for the monarch butterfly. Well, we had a conversation yeah. on here a couple of times. There was a an energy company that um wanted to basically they wanted to stop mowing their grounds. Yeah. So they're like, oh, we'll, we'll put in like a pollinator mix because uh it'll like it's helping the environment, and then we're really saving a lot of money. Was their real angle? Um, but it was something they could market and in their focus groups, they found they couldn't use a pollinator mix because it made people think bees yeah. and people being allergic to bees, and there was a negative connotation there. Where if they used monarch mix, like a monarch yeah. seed mix, then it's like, oh, everyone's thinking about these beautiful butterflies. It's honestly the same thing, yeah. going to have the same effect. But it's just the marketing. mental marketing yeah. behind it, it was much more appealing to people. So, um, yeah, you're not going to get – it's not like it's only going to be monarchs and – other yeah. bot- butterflies it's still good for bees too. So Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about monarchs. Um but yeah, all the the captive raising always just struck me as a little odd cuz I was like that's not the the idea is you go out and plant habitat. Not that you go and take them out of the habitat and put them inside and then release them. Um and I was in a couple of these uh, monarch group. I think I got kicked out of one. Uh, <laughs> but I was in like a monarch raising group, and I just I said something about like creating habitat, and uh, yeah, I got I got ridiculed out of the group. But um, but yeah, it was just like really kind of strange. The the flood of emojis that he was to like the crying yeah, face emojis. It was real. Like yeah. someone would say, "Oh, I have this," and it, that's why I was saying you have a lot of well intentioned but yeah. um, not knowledgeable people that yeah. are doing this. And it's like they sometimes don't realize that what they did actually caused – and you don't want to tell them that because – and people would. But yeah. you didn't want to tell them that because that would just crush them because they're like, oh, I can't believe I actually killed this caterpillar yeah. that had I just left it outside and might have been okay itself or been food for something else that could yeah. have used it. Um, well, I, I had shared the story. Like we,
0: we planted swamp milkweed at our yeah. house and – my wife was harvesting some of the sprouts that were because they seed in pretty good, yeah. and she was taking them to work and handing them out. Mm-hmm. And on some of the stuff she harvested, there was a caterpillar. Yeah. So we left it in the house, and it cocooned. And when it was getting ready to hatch, we had taken it outside, and it hatched. And we're taking all these photos, and then a bird swooped down yeah. and got it. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> you know, and Agatha had treated this like a, a proud parent, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, that's the That's the food cycle. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it it did its job. Sometimes it's getting to Mexico. Sometimes it's feeding a bird. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a hard lesson, but it was like, but if you plant the right plants, hopefully you, we planted the plants and within two years we were getting monarchs. You have the balance of of
1: all of it. Not just, uh, some
0: made it, some didn't. That just happened to be one that didn't make it, you know, and that's, that's how it happened. But I kind of go back to something you said earlier that if, you're you're stagnant. You're moving backwards. Mm-hmm. If you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. Yeah. I love that the science isn't just saying this is what it is. We're done.
1: Yeah. It's constantly being looked and I, at. Conversation. I love, conversations yeah, are I love being that had. it's it's challenging what we know and saying, hey, this is everything that we've learned so far has been guiding us to this point. Yeah. That we need to create more habitat. The monarchs are in peril. All this, but we found some stuff that. Raises a question there, and you're going to have people who double down and say, Damn. well, I'm, I'm – well, you're going to have people who are going to say, Damn. well, I'm not going to learn more. I'm going to believe what I know already and ignore everything new. Damn. You're going to have people who say, well, I think there's a flaw in what you're researching is, so I'm going to try and find research that either proves me wrong or you wrong. And uh, and then you're going to have the people on the other side that do the – well, I, oh this is really interesting. I'm going to see, well, how much does this effect actually go? Yeah. And, um, and it's all important. Well, at least the top two are important. You don't yep. want to shut your mind off and say, well, I'm only going to believe up to here. And then- <laughs> exactly.
0: You believe or you <laughs> yeah, don't. Exactly. So, no, I think this is a fantastic article, and it poses so many questions. Uh, it, it gives you more questions than there are answers, and I'm okay with that as long as the conversations are being had. It's all about the conversation. So I guess technically it's not, but I appreciate it the conversations and yep. where it will, will yep. lead us. So my article, not as long, um, and it was recommended to me. I wanted to thank Curtis Honeycutt for kind of bringing this to my attention. It is called The World's Oldest Forest Discovered Near New York by U.S. Scientists. Have you seen this one? I have I not, know. no. The interesting thing is the article from the BBC. <laughs> yeah. Uh, UK. And I tried to find more on this, and every article I found was – a rehashing of this article. So I yeah. couldn't find additional yeah. – I really was hoping to be able to expand upon it. Unfortunately, I wasn't. So I hopefully in the future, we will be able to. So um, scientists at a university in the US said they have discovered the world's oldest forest. The team already knew the ancient forest existed, but this is the first time it was properly investigated to find out the ages of the plants and trees growing there. The forest had evidence of some very early plants being there, some of these plants would have been even seen by dinosaurs. The teams uh, from the University of Binghamton in the U.S. and the University of Cardiff in Wales think the forest had, uh, the forest used to spread around 400 kilometers, which is 250 miles. The scientists, scientists discovered the forest at the bottom of a quarry in a place called Cairo in the state of New York. The mapping of the area started five years back in 2019. By looking at the fossils of different plants and trees found in the area – They discovered that the oldest – it is the oldest forest found on earth so far. Other extremely old forests include the Amazon rainforest and the Yakushima forest in Japan. Their discovery involves the study of paleobotany. Paleo, which means older, ancient, and botany is the study of plants. So it means studying ancient plants. You're walking through the roots of ancient trees, said Dr. Christopher Berry, paleobotanist from Cardiff University. Unlike most of the trees we see today, the ancient trees seen in this forest would not have reproduced by releasing seeds that grow into a tree. Many of the fossilized trees found in the forest would have reproduced using spores. You might recognize that word from learning about fungi, which spread around and multiply by sending spores into the air. And that's the whole article. Yeah. So you know, and when I think of spores, I think of ferns. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of ferns yeah. reproduce via yep. via spores. So. I I was hoping to find more about the type of plant material was there or how old they think they are. You know, the fact that this forest in New York at the bottom of a quarry could be older than the Amazon rainforest. I mean there are plenty of areas of New York that are untouched. Are you familiar with Cairo?
1: I've driven through it many times. All right. I think they pronounce it Cairo. Cairo. Which I always thought was interesting. So it's
0: south of Albany. So it's the eastern side of the state. Yeah, it's uh,
1: what's Exit 21? I want to say off okay. the New York State we will take you there, and it's it's right off. The, it's shortly off the exit. Okay, yeah. so it's like very s- small town,
0: like southeast, southeastern, yeah. or yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, part of New York State. It's like yeah, I guess it's still considered the Hudson Valley there. Okay, yeah.
0: So south of um,
1: like in kind of Catskills. I was gonna say it's, Catskills, yeah. not Adirondacks. Yep. So makes him want
0: to go in, and visit it, and it makes you wonder too if it's at the bottom of a quarry. Uh, obviously it had been excavated mm-hmm. at some point for yeah. rock so it's it's just interesting i would like to know more and i apologize that i don't have more to present so that's all i got
1: yeah <laughs> yeah it's um i found a, a different article but it's oh, basically it's a, it says a lot of the same stuff yeah um yeah oh what's this uh Barry and his colleagues first discovered the site in 2009 and are still analyzing the fossils it contains. Some of the fossilized roots are 15 centimeters in diameter and form 11-meter-wide horizontal radial patterns spreading out from where the vertical tree trunks Sorry, It said something about age in the background. Okay. Right. Uh, they seem to belong to Archeopteris, a type of tree with large woody roots and woody branches with leaves that is related in some way to modern trees, the team reports today in Current Biology. Previously, the oldest Archeopteris, Epteris fossils were no more than 365 million years old. Wow, Barry says, and exactly when the tree evolved, its modern-looking features has been unclear. So, so it should um, be
0: interesting based on where.
1: Oh, this yeah, this says suggests that that tree did this 20 million years earlier. So, so.
0: knowing that they found that tree there, or the fossilized remains yeah. of that tree, I wonder how that links up to where else that tree has been found in the world. Yeah. Considering New York, that part of New York isn't that far from the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if it's found on other continents,
1: yeah, as well, oh, yeah.
0: and how that links to how the the Earth has changed over millions of years. So, thank you for finding that. At the, I'm assuming as this project goes on, more will be released.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. This says it contains 382 million year old specimens. Wow. So, pretty, pretty awesome,
0: cool. and it's not. It's what, two hours from us, three hours from us? Uh, two and a half. Two and a half hours? Two yeah, half. not that far. We should make yeah. a road trip. So yeah. there, there you have it, two great articles. Tom's article on uh, Do Monarchs Need Our Help? My article on the discovery of the oldest forest discovered in New York. Uh, two great articles on Monday. We're going to post uh, the poll on the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group Well, you will get a chance to vote. And make sure you do because… And, of course, the choice is yours. This this next segment may be our longest segment of the show.
1: It, and oh yeah, you're right.
0: <laughs> and, I forgot about that. And uh that's a good thing. Uh let's get into some listener shout outs. Listener, listener, shout out, shout out, shout out, We're very fortunate that we have a lot of shout outs this week mm-hmm. and a lot of outpouring uh from our listeners. And even at the I, I'm gonna cover uh, at the Mid Atlantic Nursery Trade Show, I mentioned on the last episode that people were stopping by the booth mm-hmm. just to say, "Hey, I don't really do business with you or have the opportunity yeah. to do business with you, but I'm a fan of the podcast." So we just wanted to give a shout out to everyone. First, I want to thank Jason Blowers from uh, Alabama for his nice email to Tom and I uh, yesterday. Uh, thank you for taking time to write and and suggestions and questions, and mm-hmm. thank you for being yeah. a listener all these years. Uh, but as far as Mance. We wanted to say, and this is both of us saying thank you to Lisa Garmo, uh, Josh in New York, Todd Hayman, uh, Laura Vold, Lourdes Oserio, Luke Holian, John Godritus, Brian Yoder, Dennis Wentworth, Colin Dale, and Lillian Austin. All stop by. Some mm-hmm. customers, some not customers. Some of some of these people literally were interviewing us. They were they were yeah. asking us questions about us and and our work and just were interested to learn more. So I kind of think that maybe the meet the franchise more episode yeah. was like perfect, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. perfect timing. But we wanted to say thank you to everyone uh, that, that stopped by and had interest and said hello and took selfies mm-hmm. and all that. We, we really appreciate
1: all of that. And yeah. All of you definitely.
0: being a part of our journey. Can't, can't thank yeah. you enough.
1: Yeah. And if we missed you there, uh, I'm sure I'm I sorry. missed one or yeah. two. We'll I was, have to, I didn't necessarily yeah, I find tell,
0: somewhere else. tell people what I was doing, but as they were chatting with us, I was trying to write their name down. Oh yeah, yeah. So so that I would keep a record. So if I seemed rude that I was
1: writing while you mm-hmm. were talking to us, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was with
0: good yeah, good
1: intentions. Yeah. And then uh then we had a bunch of people write in.
0: Oh, I, I wanted to let you know because I did some of this while yeah. you're Utah. There were a bunch of reviews from Canada that we weren't uh, alerted okay, to, yeah. and I I went back, and you can see I put the date in. I went back and actually found some of these and added them in. Yep, uh, just to 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 say thank you because yep. we did say if you leave a five star review, there's probably people going, man, I left a five five star review four months ago, yeah, and they never mentioned me. Well, yeah, yeah. now's your now's your
1: chance. All right, so we had uh, some of our Canadian listeners. Uh, you had Canadian native um, started listening this year and. Uh, wound up digging through a lot of the backlog, which is something we really appreciate. Yeah, thank you. Um, because some of those – we that's why we do some of the best stuff now because we had some yeah. really good episodes with some really cool people. And we have so many new people we want to interview, but, well, yeah, Bri- sometimes we got to do
0: <laughs> Brian Yoder, who I yeah. mentioned, uh, said because of his OCD, he started at the beginning. And I'm like, ooh, that's tough. Thank you for making yeah. it through. And he goes, I'm not going to lie. Some of those episodes <laughs> yeah. were a little <laughs> yeah. difficult, but – I, I'm glad I stuck with it, and yep. we are too. If you're yep. going to start that way, just, you know, it. the show's evolved.
1: So, yeah. Oh, sorry. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sorry. So um, then we had uh, That a Babe wrote back in October that uh, they listened began listening during the COVID shutdowns, and we we're a perfect mix of humor, science, and environmental concern, which, uh, yeah, that's what kind Thank of we were, we, were, we were at Mance. We were talking with um, John McGee. And his yeah. wife from the Native Plant Podcast, yes. and uh, and we, were, his wife jokingly said, "Oh, it's the competition." And I was like, <laughs> "Well, yeah, but we're trying, we're trying to kind of provide something different than what they do, yeah, where it's less technical, a little bit more um, ecological based. yeah, ecological yeah. base, and I don't want to call it easy listening, but something that's m- maybe more approachable, yeah." And less technical, where what they have is a little bit more technical. And now one of the things if you do listen to that podcast, you can uh, ask them to do is apparently they have a whole like uh back catalogue, unreleased back catalog yes. of episodes uh that they did in I can't remember it was I think it was Ecuador. I think it was Ecuador. Um, yeah. where his wife is from. And um and with with some really cool sounding people. So I was telling them, Oh yeah, I think that would be really cool to release so if you're interested in hearing I, that, they ask them yeah they have
0: they have episodes in the can that they yeah. weren't even sure if they wanted to release. You want them to release these because yeah. we want to hear it. You want to hear it too. If you're a fan of their podcast, make sure you reach out about that. Yep. Uh,
1: then we had uh, Johnny Hickory, who I think we did. I did remember you do that one? Name. Okay. So Johnny I Hickory. Sure. Anyway, you're going to get a, a second one. Uh, they wrote back in September, yes. also from Canada, and. um, thanking us for the stream of Wildlife Garden Inspiration and that they look forward to it every week, which, uh, again, super flattering. So You can tell it's Canadian because I have an, a UN favorite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, <laughs> which shows up with a red squiggly line underneath yeah, here in done. America. <laughs> um, and then uh, some of the ones on Spotify that came up was Mary wrote in on our Herbalism episode uh, saying that we covered it well and really appreciated the thought that um, we've been disconnected from nature and, uh, so we rely on commercial products in the 40 hour work week and, uh, which, yeah, I think that's going to be a new realm of, of research yeah. that needs to be done is yes. how we've, uh, I don't want to say that we've been brainwashed, but like there was a purposeful disconnection by the, uh, well, by the European governments and then the American government with between native peoples and their way of life that yeah. that is true yes. like what rem- that is they had schools yeah. with uh really terrible things would happen yes. there um that they would like basically kidnap children yeah. bring them to these schools and i can't remember the term that they used to describe the schools um and uh just to like teach them different things and they would never see their parents again yeah and and a lot of them would actually there was a lot of um like human like crimes just terrible things that would happen in these schools countless kids would would die get buried in mass graves there was a huge uh uncovering over the past probably three four years up in canada which uh with some of these schools so um that is yeah definitely true but i think it would be interesting for somebody to dive in to the plant connections with people that have been like forcefully removed over uh over generations um we had Next to Zero, uh, also wrote on Spotify on the Meet Fran episode, saying 10 out of 10. So, And yeah, it wasn't just about me. It was both of yeah, us.
0: It was yeah. finding us both inspirational. So, so, um, And that's what I appreciate, too, that a lot of the feedback wasn't just about me. It was both of us, yeah, which yeah. which I truly appreciate. Uh,
1: you had P. Kelly uh, from the Meet Homegrown National Park episode, was a recently retired DEP-er, uh So that's New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. And um, really love the interview with Dr. Talmy, and uh, agrees that we're doing great. So that's Thank flattering you. to hear as well. And then P. Johns 62070 put in five stars. Really loved hearing Fran's story. Oh, this is from Podbean. Yeah. Uh, not Spotify. And um, yeah, has recommended the podcast to a lot of uh, people that he volunteers with at Bernheim Arboretum. Yeah. So. Which
0: is, I think, Kentucky. Okay. If I cool. remember correctly. So Very cool. we appreciate it. Yeah. While so you, you, well, you assume busy he, it week. might be she, yeah. we don't know.
1: That's true. Yeah, that's true.
0: So, yeah. but yeah, you kept us busy. There was a lot of fantastic feedback. We didn't even mention anyone in the Facebook group or, or yeah. texts or direct messages or anything like that, but we appreciate everyone that reached out and we'll continue to do our listener shout outs as we go. And we appreciate everyone that's listening and, and again, taking that journey with us. So, mm-hmm. all right. So I think the only thing we really have left is take it or leave it. Yeah. I think, Our follow-up was really the topic today. Actually, listener shout-out may have been the topic. And I was thinking about it because I knew we were going to talk about the Mid-Atlantic Nursery Trade Show. Mm -hmm. And over my time in the industry, industry trade shows have changed. Uh, There was – and I know you and I have had this conversation. You used to travel to a different trade show every week from the start Mm -hmm. of January till the end of February. and You would travel all over the country. And a lot of those trade shows has disappeared, and sometimes they make a comeback. Like the Mid-Atlantic would have a summer trade show and a winter trade show. Mm-hmm. Like there was a Pennsylvania show, a Chicago show. A lot of these are defunct now, the New England show. What is your take on industry trade shows? I I feel that some have evolved oh. to conferences that are more direct. Mm-hmm. But as an industry trade show itself, and there's, there's not as many, what is your feeling
1: of the necessity of – that i my personal feelings are that the internet has has changed the game now the internet has been around what for 30 years 40 years since it's been a um, while yeah i had Um, my
0: first aol account in 1995
1: yeah yeah so. so it's uh but the internet isn't necessarily an accurate portrayal of what your nursery can do yeah um then again, neither is your, your trade show booth. Um, yeah. and your trade show booth is going to have much, uh, fewer views in a sense than an internet search could, um, potentially, but at least you got to prove it. Like you, you can't say, Oh, I have the top quality plants and then not bring them Like yeah. they better be the top quality plants if that's what you're saying when you actually have to show them to people. Yeah. So, um, I don't. I guess my what I'm trying to get around to is I don't think that they're necessary, but I do think that they have a a purpose yeah. and a place. I I know, but I think that place is shrinking.
0: Yeah, I it's changed when when I first started. I remember in the late '80s, you would go to these trade shows. Because sometimes these nurseries only had one sales rep east Mm -hmm. of the Mississippi. So you maybe would only see your sales rep once a year, and you would literally go to someone's booth with your order and wait in line to hand that sales rep your order. Mm -hmm. And I think I shared this story. At one point, I was at Moon Nurseries when we got our first fax machine, and we thought it was great, but we didn't know anyone that had a fax machine. So we had it and go, what do we do? At that point, people were still mailing us quotes through the mail. Mm -hmm. So – it was different at that point, and you would travel from Baltimore to uh, to Columbus, to Michigan, to Chicago, to New England, and by the last trade show after eight or nine, you felt like you were having the same conversation with the same people in just a different yep. city. Yep. So I'm, you know, and and some trade shows have changed. Like there over the summer, there was the Pennsylvania show, there was the Baltimore show, there there were different shows. So I think. We have a really great one in Baltimore that kind of kicks everything off where mm-hmm. there's two thousand yeah. vendors and and it's good for us to be able to talk to our friends in the industry mm-hmm. as well as customers and put a face with it because we don't we we're not road sales people. We yeah. don't always get to see people. Yeah. And I love that the the sense show in Baltimore has kind of or in uh, Columbus, Ohio has changed to cultivate. Yeah. And that's kind of taken a big presence in the summer. So you have one big winter one like there used to be ones i think there was a summer one i can't remember what it was called in out in the uh the pacific northwest i can't remember oh, there's the one called far
1: west yeah far west like was up there yeah
0: but it's not what it was yeah you know it's um i i like that you know i know there's still one green and growing in north carolina and i've heard mm-hmm. that shrinking and and there's other ones but i like that there's a big presence in the winter a big presence yeah. in the summer mm-hmm. and i kind of i would love to leave it at that there's we're still busy every week going to conferences that are more geared towards yeah,
1: our definitely
0: our uh, industry, and and I kind of like that because instead of one in six people coming to the booth that actually would probably have the opportunity mm-hmm. to do business with you at an industry conference, there's a ten out of ten shot that that's someone yep. that someone could do business yep. with you. So I don't know it's it's really changed so much over the years. I would like to see less but I would hate for them to go away.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's like a it's there's a uh not a historical thing. What am I trying to say? A nostalgia thing with yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, you, you catch up with people that you haven't seen in 20, 30 years. Like mm-hmm. at least for me, yeah. you know, it's it's uh getting to catch up and see people who I worked with it when I was at the other side of the industry that I have no need to to work mm-hmm. with now, but it's yeah. nice to get to catch up and 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 have talks like I'm actually getting together tonight with a with a former boss mm-hmm. of mine from Princeton yeah. nurseries who. here's, here's
1: my question that i'll I'll kind of reframe to you all right if you were just started a new nursery yeah. and you had to do some advertising would you recommend that they go to this or put it in into social media or web-based something different.
0: I think it's, if you're starting, would off, you tell think, them to the print a catalog? No, <laughs> no. You know, but although we we have found in our experience that someone wants something to be able to walk away with. We tried to go all yeah. digital, and mm-hmm. people would come up to the booth and they wanted something to have in their hand when they walked yeah. away. Yep. You know, so we've learned from that. But I think you have to, and I think a lot of our friends are in that position and have done that. And I wouldn't discourage them from going, but we've also had friends that said, I don't need to be here any longer. My business is only in this part of the country, Mm -hmm. and I don't have to travel to another state to talk to them.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah, exactly.
0: So I think your results may vary, but I think if you're a new business, you can easily – I think they said 12,000 people walk the floors Mm -hmm. of Manson three days if you want to – your nursery to be seen by twelve thousand people target it
1: in your area in your area almost. i yeah. think
0: that uh you know yeah you need a social media presence you need a marketing presence but doing that trade show is probably mm-hmm. for an up-and-coming nursery is a, is a yeah. big deal yeah I, I don't see us not being there I, yeah. we've discussed it in mm-hmm. various times because every trade show ebbs and flows yep but yep. do you want to be the one nursery that's not there
1: yeah, maybe, maybe sometimes it, all, it depends. It, depends. Yeah. it does. Yeah, it all depends. So,
0: so interesting, but yeah, I think I'm with you. I don't know that I have yeah. a definitive. You can make arguments either way depending on the situation, yeah. but yep. I'm all for no more new ones. Yeah. <laughs> let's, oh yeah, yeah, let's, for sure. Let's let's keep what we got.
1: So, all right, cool. Well, that's gonna wrap us up for this week. Uh, thank you for joining us today. We hoped you'd enjoyed listening to the buzz. Thank you, everyone, for listening. To native plants, Pil- uh, native plants healthy planet presented by pylons nursery
0: <laughs> i'd like to thank everyone for putting up with our technical difficulties today this is one of the few episodes that we're probably going to have to edit just because we've had some technical difficulties but uh beyond that big thank you to rj comer for a buzz uh intro theme music wouldn't be the sh- uh same without it make sure you stream or uh buy buy rj's music wherever you consume music itunes spotify um, thank you to Dave Bennett for our native plant anthem. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Don't forget about the question and comment line. Call us at 215 346 6189. I will repeat that 215 346 6189. Leave a question or a comment. We'll do our best to play it on a future episode of The Buzz. And uh, thank you for all the wonderful feedback and new members of the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. Conversations have been great. I Actually, everyone gave me the opportunity to do a little bit more uh, uh, strolls down memory lane. I tried to share mm-hmm. some of my pictures of my earlier years of uh, to describe what I was – or to explain what I was trying to describe yeah. on the podcast. Yep. So I appreciate everyone playing along Uh and and humoring me on those
1: Mm -hmm. yeah so uh you can buy native plants healthy planet merch directly at our website which is www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. there's a link at the top that takes you to our store uh i'm gonna what i'm gonna do i we talk i think we talked about last time is we have a legitimate clothing designer on our staff now Uh, we've talked and i'm like why don't i just give her the login and just say hey when you got those times where you don't have something to do make something put it up here yeah our
0: our new logo and and theme is in effect um it's when when you go to apple podcasts or or spotify or podbean you see our new logo new artwork on the facebook group Mm -hmm. uh it's been rolling out slowly but we're gonna slowly start retiring some of the old stuff and there's going to be
1: there's Mm -hmm. a huge opportunity for new new very very cool designs yes so uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast, whether you're listening on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio.
0: Bye-bye Google Podcasts.
1: Yeah, it's there's going a, by the wayside. Uh, going the way of Stitcher. Yeah. So, um, yeah, do us a favor. Subscribe. If you can, leave a comment or a, a five-star review. Those go a long way. Do a little write-up with that five-star review, and I'll give you a shout-out on our Buzz episodes, like I did. Had a very, very long list today. So, um, uh, Yeah. So that's uh, all I have, there, friend. So, uh, do, you, do you have a secret? I I don't have one in, in the can, but I oh I I have I, a
0: bunch. I have some, like yeah. So either or, you know, one of the things doing the episode last week, like it's funny how some of the memories flood back, mm-hmm. like and some of the things I talked about. There's maybe a little bit more to them yeah. than what you know. And we were trying to keep that episode short, oh, yeah, yeah. But I was just thinking, like after I got off, I was like, oh, that's right, this actually is a part of that story and this is part of that story so i thought in instances maybe where we don't have a secret i can expand on yeah go ahead all right so um (laughs) let's see which one do i want to do so i had mentioned that how i looked part of the reason why i shared some of those pictures is because i wanted people to see what i looked like when i applied for a job at moon and i think most most places would have looked me over and said no at that time, and uh, my boss at the time had said, well, I need bodies, and he's a mm-hmm. willing body. But the other part of that story that I forgot about, uh, and John Stella reminded me of this, um, who who is a longstanding member of the industry that I've worked with at, at, at a few nurseries, was – my friend that got me the interview there, I had played Little League baseball with, and he had told my boss that I was a good baseball player and I was left-handed, mm-hmm. and they wanted another left-handed bat for their softball team, which they took yeah. very serious. So yeah. part of what got me the job <laughs> was was being a left-handed bat for yeah. the softball team, and our first game of against all people, we played Princeton Nurseries, oh, so nice. someone yeah. that I ended up going to work for, and during warm-ups – batting practice, I broke our pitcher's cheekbone. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, and it I, I wasn't even a line drive. I hit a one-bouncer back to him so quickly that he mm. couldn't get his hands up. Yeah. And off a one-bounce, the ball hit him in the cheek. Oh, my God. Broke his cheek, so he's bleeding from his, yeah. his cheek and his nose. And he refused to go to the hospital until the game was over. <laughs> so he didn't play. But he sat on the bench bleeding, Yeah, and I just have everyone looking at me going, yeah, good job. Yeah. Wait, good job. And I'm like, I wasn't trying to hit him. Yeah. Like, I'm taking batting practice. I just happened yeah, to hit yeah. one up the middle. So it kind of put like a little bit of a cloud over the, yeah. the first game. Did you so. win? Oh, yeah, we killed him. Yeah. We killed him. So we, we had a good game. We had some big bats mm-hmm. on that team. So it was uh, – and we played at Princeton. They had a field Oh, By the no time way. I worked yeah. there, I knew where the field was, but it had no longer existed. Yeah. Yep. But we played on their property, and it was. I I just thought I'd expand upon that. Yep. Just little little tidbits.
1: So, yep. do you have one you want to share? No, we okay. I, let's keep it at one. All right, and, cool. Uh, but that is a good secret. So awesome. All right, cool. Well, with that, thank you, everyone. I'm
0: Tom, and I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. Uh, coming up next week, we are live. Coming from the New Jersey Total Pro Expo, did we want to say who our guest is? Yeah, oh yeah. All right, so we our guest already did. Didn't yeah, it. I don't know if we said who. I yeah. did we give it all away? I don't remember. Uh, anyway, our guest is Steve Castorani from North Creek Nurseries, who's been a, a prior guest, mm-hmm. but he's also the co-founder of American Beauties, and we're doing a deep deep dive on American Beauties. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of assumptions about this. Pro- there's mm-hmm. people that love it, and there's people that question it. We're fans of, of yeah. the line, and and we we want to have those conversations where it's come from and where it's mm-hmm. going.
1: Yeah, a lot I, of what I'm really interested in is I see. I said I'm in a lot of these Facebook groups, and I see uh, American Beauties misrepresented. Yes, more often than not, and um, I think it's just uh, kind of dispelling some of the myths, saying, "Hey, here's what it actually is," and then. People can make their own opinion up after that, but I agree. It's uh just getting it all on the table so that there isn't incorrect information coming out about yes. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we're
0: excited. We're we're, yeah, we're friends with Steve, and we're always happy for an opportunity to sit down and talk to him. So, uh, and it will be in front of a live audience, which we're doing more and more often. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. lately. Oh, yeah. So make sure you tune in next week for that one. Uh, we'll see you again next time, and until then, keep it native.
1: Woods, wetlands, and dales Grows a bounty of beauty that never fails Our native plants, so diverse and so rare Treasures of our land beyond compare
0: From the friends below, soaring oaks above Each plant has a place each family's love Monarch caterpillars, monks, milk, weeds so tall Bees buzzed about, sipping lectins
1: all Oh native plants, how do you grace this land In your diversity, we will take a stand the monster preserver, Terenice is a calm The beauty, being in importance is
0: second to, to protect and preserve the Earth To restore the need a plant food that you just can't ignore Golden bat asterisk flowers galore Menard is so stunning, can't help at the door your colors, the fragrance, a boost for the eyes Your value to the like no need to disguise
1: Native plans, how you grace
0: this land In your diversity, we will take a stand